Songs, chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a round mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the, the pools of Heshbon. And by the gate of Bath-Rabin, your nose is like the tower of Lebanon, looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a, a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb, climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine. The fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over his lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their, their fragrance. And at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed by my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you. And no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house. She who had taught me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a, a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a little sister, and her breasts have not yet grown. What should we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall. And my breasts are like towers, thus I have become in his eyes, like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Harmon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for, for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver 
But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred shekels are for those who tend its fruit. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on a spice-laden mountains. Amen. Thank you, Basil, very much. So, our final week in Song of Songs. I'm guessing you're glad about that. It's been a lot of talking about sex, and we're not good at speaking about sex. I heard a story this week um, about a church minister. He'd been invited to go to the local secondary school to give a talk about sex. Slightly nervously, he accepted the uh, invitation. But when he put the event in his diary, um, he didn't want anyone else to see what he was speaking about. His wife sometimes looked at his diary, thought, better keep this quiet. So he wrote in his diary, speaking about sailing at the secondary school. He knew what it meant, so all was well. The day came and uh, went, talk went fine. But the day after he gave his talk, um, his wife bumped into the head teacher of the secondary school in town. And the headmistress, she, she said to his wife, your husband, you must thank him for us. He gave such a wonderful talk yesterday. So helpful. Everyone really appreciated it. The minister's wife looked really surprised. She had seen the appointment in her husband's diary. And in her confusion, she replied, oh, I'm really pleased. I've got to admit, I was concerned. He's only done it twice. The first time he was sick, and the second time he couldn't work out to get the mast up. We're not good at talking about sex. That was just to warm you up. <laughs> the uh, Gospel Coalition website. It's a, it's a great website. It's packed full of resources. Um, there's a sermon section on there. In the sermon section, there are 13,497 sermons. That is a lot of sermons. Guess how many there are on the Song of Songs? There is just one. We're not good at talking about sex. And if you think about it, there's a rightness to that. It it is a deeply personal and intimate thing. We've seen in the song already, we'll see it again today, the deep vulnerability that comes from sexual intimacy. But, But God has given us this book, Song of Songs, in his good word to us for a reason. It's okay to talk about sex. In fact, stronger than that, it's encouraging us to talk about sex. All I want to do this morning as we, as we finish this series in Song of Songs is to hear three final rallying cries from this love song. Three take-homes for us all. And the first is talk. Song of Songs urges us to talk about sex. Listen to the, to the man as he describes his lover. She's dancing, end of chapter 6. Um, so he starts at her feet and works his way up with delight. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful your sandal feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your, your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabeen. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I'd reuse that line. 
Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. There's unashamed delight in God's good gift. The husband is persistent in his wooing of his wife. He he wants to tell her of the pleasure that she she brings him. It's a challenge, isn't it? Husbands, wives, are you still talking? Are you consciously verbalizing your delight in each other? Words are important. It's good to talk. And actually, in other contexts too, everyone else is talking about sex. My my son this week on Tuesday, he had his usual lessons cancelled so they could have a day dedicated to PHSE. Basically a day on sex. Funny for his school to be talking to him about sex if his Christian dad isn't speaking to him about God's good gift. It's been a helpful challenge to me. Parents, are we talking to our children about sex? I mean, obviously in an age-appropriate way, you don't necessarily have to do an in-depth study of the Song of Songs with them. But let's be talking to them about sex. Let's make sure we are. Well, what about friendships? I was remembering back to my university days when a, a, a Christian friend said to me, he said, I find it so confusing with sexual desires. I've no idea what is good longing and what is bad longing. Now, I suspect that was quite a heartfelt question, but I had no idea what to say to it, so I think the conversation just moved on to the football. Song of Songs says talk. Find safe context within friendships and talk. There's glorious goodness here. It's okay to talk. In fact, let me ask you this. If you were to plot a graph of of goodness and badness, so goodness at the top, bad things at the bottom, you've got God at the top, uh, probably chocolate just below him. You've got Satan at the bottom, and perhaps olives and avocados just, just above him. You get the idea. Goodness, badness. Where are you putting sex? Where is sexual intimacy on that graph? See, I I guess we know on one level, don't we? Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. Good, 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 very good. God created sexual intimacy. So it's got to go somewhere high up, close to chocolate maybe. I do realize God created avocados and olives too. I've put those more in a Genesis 3 bracket myself than Genesis 2. But can you see that the way we talk about sex, or actually the way we don't talk about sex, it's very easy to communicate that we think sex is a very bad thing. Awkward, unmentionable. Now obviously there is so much hurt and brokenness in this area. We must tread carefully, sensitively, But the brokenness comes from our badness, not sex's badness. Sexual intimacy is a good gift from God. Listen to the delight, chapter 7 and verse 10. I belong, this is the woman speaking, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go to the vineyards. Go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. 
it's romantic, it's erotic. If, if Song of Songs has persuaded you of nothing else, my real hope is it will persuade you to talk. Husbands, wives, parents, children, within the context of safe friendships, let's talk, express delight, confess failings, seek comfort for hurt. But let's not place sexual intimacy in the bad box. The Bible is unresoundingly clear. It, it is a good, it's resoundingly clear. It's a good gift from God. So talk. But then we need to hear the urging here to walk. We must hear the goodness, but as we hear the goodness, we mustn't miss the warnings. Remember my, um, my mum and her superglue. If you were here two weeks ago, I told the story of the day my mum tried to put eye drops in her eye, um, but accidentally took out a pot of superglue from her bag and put superglue in her eye. Bad moment. And as I told the story, there was a sharp intake of breath from all of you. Actually, I was listening back on the website. You can hear you lot gasping as I told the story. You can get the horror of that moment. Superglue, good. Superglue in the eye, bad. What can I ask? Do we have that same sense of horror when God's good gift of sex is placed out of context. I worry that we've grown so familiar with seeing the superglue of sex being used in the wrong context that we've lost a sense of dread here. Three times throughout this song, we hear the same refrain. Um, flick back with me over the page to, to chapter 2, page uh, 681. Chapter 2 and verse 7. Page 681. Chapter 2, verse 7. It's the woman speaking. She calls out to her friends, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And then bottom right-hand corner of the same page, chapter 3, verse 5. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And then turn back to the end of the song, chapter 8, verse 4, page 685. Chapter 8, verse 4, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Actually, our English translation doesn't help us here. This final repetition is much stronger. The sense is, really don't. Don't don't even try and arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And the threefold warning is like a big hazard warning triangle for us, warning us of perils. Go slow. Walk. There's there's great danger here. Follow on in chapter 8. And we see these perils more clearly. Verse 5, the friends say, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And then the woman addresses her lover. She says, Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she was. Uh, there she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as a grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, 
it would be utterly scorned. They're rich, intimate words, aren't they? You could imagine finding them inside a Valentine's Day card. But actually, listen carefully, and there's great fear here. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. You see, the the picture is of an uncontrollable force, a fire that spreads and and can't be quenched. I mean, picture the forest fire. It starts with just one small spark, tiny smolder, and before long, acres of woodland are ablaze, and and it can't be put out. Sexual intimacy is good. We mustn't miss that in this song. Good creation gift from God. But don't miss the dangers. As the woman calls out to her friends, three times she's, she's warning them, tread carefully, go slowly. Don't stoke the flames of love too soon. And that is so countercultural. Walk into McDonald's within 90 seconds or so, depends um, if Cambridge United are playing at home, but within 90 seconds or so, you can be holding a, a quarter pounder with cheese, uh, a medium fries, and a chocolate milkshake. That's what I'd order anyway. But the speed of the transaction completely undermines all that has gone into producing that food. A cow has been fed and raised. Potatoes have been planted and harvested. Tomatoes picked and processed. Rapeseed and sunseed, uh, sunflowers used to make the oil. That, that quarter pounder with cheese meal can trace its route back over several years. But we don't see any of that. We just live in the here and now. We expect everything in the here and now. So we binge on box sets. I mean, can't be bothered to wait for a week for a next episode or something. Let's just watch a box set. We we trade books for blogs. We can't even cope with the the shortest queue at the supermarket. So we skip the supermarket altogether and get the food brought to our door. Right here, right now, is the mantra of our culture. And we apply that, apply that same doctrine to sexual intimacy. But hear the warning, verse 4. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. There's great danger here, she says. Go, go slow with love. We saw two weeks ago you know, the great vulnerability of sexual intimacy. Uh, And that is why our loving Heavenly Father tells us the safe place for his good gift is within the promises of marriage. He tells us that because he loves us. Uh, And the woman in this song is urging us, don't don't seek to speed a relationship along to get to the next step. No, gently nurture the relationship. Recognize that growing intimacy is growing vulnerability. She pleads with her lover here, verse 6 of, of chapter 8. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It's, it's heart-aching fear from her vulnerability. Walk, don't run. That, that's the urging of the song. A great book um, I've read in this era recently is um, this one. It's called um, Not Yet Married. I realized 
The title is, uh, sounds like it's the worst title in the world. I nearly didn't read the book because of that. Um, but it's a brilliant title, actually. It's not speaking about earthly marriage. It's pointing to the hope that every Christian believer has of being united to Christ and eternal marriage to Jesus. And uh, it helps us think through how to live our lives in the here and now in light of that truth, particularly in the context of dating. So, a um, great book for someone to read who's longing to date. Great book for dating couples to read and discuss. Great book for parents to read with their teenage children. We need to help each other in this area. The world says run. Our loving Heavenly Father says walk. Tread, tread carefully. So talk, walk, and then uh, finally, and perhaps most dangerously, stalk. Stalk. And uh, don't mishear me here. I don't want to appear as a witness in court. My pastor told me to stalk her, sir. But the final heading was going to be devote, uh, but I thought this might be more memorable, hopefully in the right, right way. Um, the point is that throughout the love song, the picture we're given is of undivided devotion. Forsaking all others and single-mindedly pursuing the one your heart is set on. Look with me at the uh, end of chapter 8. Let's read from verse 8. Here we have what seems to be a group of brothers. Uh, and and they're, given, hearing, they're hearing the warnings of the dangers of sexual intimacy. And, and they're asking, how can we keep our little sister safe? So verse 8, they say, we have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What should we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she's a wall, we'll build towers of silver on her. If she's a door, we'll enclose her with panels of cedar. You hear the desire to keep her safe. Now listen to the woman's response, verse 10 of chapter 8. She replies, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus, I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. Now these verses, perhaps more than any other in the, in the song, convince me this song's not written by Solomon. Maybe to Solomon, more probably in the style of Solomon's wisdom writings. But I can't see it can be by Solomon. Because here Solomon is being mocked. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. What's the vineyard in the love song? We've seen it already. It's a picture of their bodies, of sexual intimacy. Well, Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. Do you you hear the mockery? Solomon had this delight. But what did he do with it? He rented it out to all and sundry. 700 wives, 300 concubines. And it was a sexual free-for-all in the royal household. She continues, verse 12, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 for those who tend its fruit. You hear she's saying, you can keep your money, Solomon. In fact, she's already said, end of verse 7, is one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You can't buy love. You can keep your money, Solomon. Safety is found in devoted, dedicated, committed 
love. Verse 10, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Their, their eyes are on each other. Their exclusive sexual union keeps them focused on each other. That, that is their place of safety. In fact, do you, do you see there's an implicit encouragement here for, for married couples to keep having sex. Clearly, there are often challenges, broken people in a broken world. The Bible's not blind to that. But their physical union here, it's feeding their devotion to each other within the safety of marriage promises. Be devoted. Stalk. But wonderfully, the book doesn't end there. I think it'd be quite a hard place for the book to end, for, for many of us, the, the sort of happily ever after, lovers gazing into each other's eyes. But the final two verses of the song shift our focus. The book ends with seemingly distant voices calling out to each other. Verse 13, he calls out, You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. And she replies, Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Why the distance, the separation at the end of the book, calling out to each other? We began this series by saying that Song of Songs is a book about human sexual love. I'm hoping we've seen that. But all the way through the book, we've seen how human sexual love points us to a far greater, more faithful, longer-lasting love. The Apostle Paul, as he speaks about sexual intimacy in marriage, he says, it's a profound mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Human love is merely a faint echo of an eternal divine love. We see the same pattern with King Solomon, the author of One Kings. Commentating on the life of King Solomon writes, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Do you see the connection there? Human love, divine love. Human wandering is a wandering away from devotion to the Lord. Ultimately, this, this is... This call for single-minded devotion in Song of Songs. It's a call to be utterly devoted to the giver of the gift. To the one who made us and loves us with an unending love. It's so easy for us to see the goodness of sexual intimacy and for that to become our goal. For us to worship the gift, to become obsessed with the goal of sexual fulfillment so easy to ignore the giver of the gift. But Paul says it's a profound mystery. But I'm speaking about Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride. Now with that in mind, listen to these final two verses again. They're stunning verses. The bridegroom calls out to his bride, verse, verse 13, you who dwell in the gardens... With friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. 
Do you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ there? The great lover of your soul, and he's calling out to a distant bride, to his church, to his people, a people who have wandered again and again, strayed from the safe and narrow path he gave us to walk. You see, that is you and me. It's each one of us. And yet this bridegroom is calling out to us and saying, let me hear you, my beloved. I long for you. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, knowing the great guilt of their moral failure, they hid from God in the garden. My guess is that Song of Songs leaves many of us in, in the same place, guilty and ashamed, wanting to hide from God. But listen to him. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. The question Song of Songs leaves us with is, will we respond to his call? Will we accept his offer of forgiveness? There is love here for you to delight into all eternity. Are you going to keep chasing after shadows, which won't last, which will never satisfy? Wonderfully here, the bride responds, verse 14. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Glory is on offer. The question is, how will we respond to our lover? Let me hand back to Steve, who's going to lead us in a time of prayer.